That is such an intense bumper. I just, I feel like you figure there's shrapnel going, somebody's going to blow up and die. No, it's just ladders. Uh, that's it. That's all there is. Hey, welcome to Overleg. It's good to be with you. I'm Mike. That bumper sets up what we're talking about today. If you want to grab your notes out of your handout, you'll see we're wrapping up a series called the Generosity Ladder. And the, the premise is real simple. There's all kinds of ladders in our culture, in our society to climb. You got the, you know, the, the social ladder. You got the career ladder. All kinds of la- academic ladders, right? All kinds of pressure to climb all kinds of ladders. But there is a ladder. It's a different kind of upward mobility. It's the generosity ladder. And we've been taking the last couple of weeks to unpack what that looks like, how that sort of um, impacts our lives. And and actually, I hope as you've been tracking with us, you recognize that this idea, this idea of generosity, it, it, it really is far more foundational in our faith life than we would care to admit, right? We recognize that it really does have something um, significant, something foundational for us in terms of how we view God and how we view the world, what our faith journey is all about. So just a quick recap, we've been talking about the different places that you can be in regards to the generosity ladder. And the first place is not on it at all, right? So not climbing the ladder at all. We call those uh, folks never givers. And just the recognition, you, if this is where you are, you think that your money's your money, you worked hard for your money, You're going to use your money however you want to use your money. And if you're not on the ladder, the recognition is that's a place of financial stress. There is a stress to living your life with that kind of perspective. That tends to be the place where we can't make ends meet. Debt begins to pile up. We always want what we don't have. We compare what we do have with people who have far more. And it just becomes a negative cycle because there is a bondage to materialism if you're not on the ladder at all. And so the challenge, right, week one was, hey, take a step up, go to rung number one. The first rung in the generosity ladder is the idea of offering a gift back to God. Any gift, any size, you're offering a gift back to God based on the gifts that he has given you. And it begins to get our mind in this perspective that maybe that's not our money, maybe it's God's money. Maybe we don't own anything, but we are just managers or stewards of what God gives us to take care of for a while. So it begins to change our perspective. We talked last week about taking the next step, climbing to rung number two, which we call the obedience level giving, right? And this, the Bible talks about as a tithe. Tithe is a mathematical term, just means 10%. So based on income, 10% of income, you go to the Old Testament in the Bible, you go all the way through. Even in the New Testament, Jesus talks about the tithe. Yeah, you should tithe, he says. So this is that obedience level that, hey, let's, we call this financial faithfulness, right? That we would be faithful to God's perspective. And again, we offer the first 10% back to God. It changes our mind. Changes our perspective on money, on stewardship. And today I get to talk about the most fun rung of all. This is rung number three. And this is that peak level giving, that generosity as a lifestyle kind of a giving, the recognition. I don't own anything. It's all God's. I want to offer it all to him and, and whatever he wants to do with it, that's fine with me. And there's a lot of fun there. There's a lot of freedom. And we talked about this idea of being at the top of the ladder. 
as pinnacle uh, level living, that this is an amazing place to be, financial peace, where you don't have the stress of money, where you really are content with where you are, with what God's brought in your life. You're always giving thanks for the blessings that he's given you. This is an amazing place to be. Some of you are like, you know what? It's a rickety place on the top of the ladder. That, you know, you should never stand on the top of the ladder, Mike. Haven't you read the warnings? And, and here's the, the deal. This is where God meets you. This is where there's great freedom. This is where uh, there is an incredible view of what life is like and what our faith can be like when we trust God with everything. Now, I want to tell you, the reason why we chose ladder as a perspective, right, as the metaphor for this whole thing, is because a ladder is a thing, it's a tool that takes you from one plane to the next plane. That's what we're trying to go after. A ladder is a tool that that recognizes that things that are out of reach become instantly in reach if you climb the ladder. That's what we want to go after. And I know for many of us, this has really been a challenging kind of a series. We don't like to talk about money. Money is always tight. Money's difficult. Our hearts are kind of wrapped up in this thing. So I recognize that this has been difficult. I read a story from a guy named Eugene Peterson. And he's this incredible pastor. He's an author. He actually transcribed the Bible from Hebrew and from Greek into English. It's a paraphrase, but um, you might know it as the message paraphrase of the Bible. This is a, he's a sharp guy. And this is a story that he tells about watching a mother bird teach her baby birds to fly. Okay? This is what he says. The adult swallow got alongside the chicks and started shoving them out toward the end of the branch. Pushing, pushing, pushing. Some of you feel like that's what I've been doing in this series, by the way. Pushing, 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 right? Uh, Then it says, the end one fell off. Somewhere between the branch and the water below, the wings started working. The fledgling was off on his own. Then the second one. The third one, however, was not to be bullied. At the last possible moment, his grip on the branch loosened just enough so that he swung downward, then tightened again, bulldog tenacious. The parent pecked at the desperately clinging talons until it was more painful for the chick to hang on than risk the insecurities of flying. The grip was released and the wings began pumping. The mature swallow knew what the chick did not, that it would fly, that there was no danger in making it do what it was designed to do. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk, they can cling, but flying is their characteristic activity. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Giving is what we do best. It's the air into which we're born. It's the action that was designed into us before our birth. Some people try desperately to hold on to themselves, to live for self. They look so bedraggled and pathetic doing it, hanging on to the dead branch of selfishness and self-centeredness, afraid to risk themselves on the untried wings of giving. Yet many people don't think they can live generously because they've never tried. The recognition, friends, is that as we climb this ladder, as we lean into generous living, we're going to soar. We're going to fly. This is what God has made us for. It's why the scripture references giving over 2,300 times. Because God knows this is freedom for us. He doesn't load us down with burdens of generosity. He calls us to generosity so that we'll be unburdened by materialism. So that we'll be set free. So that we'll have the full blessing that God wants us to have in this life. In fact, 
Generous living author and financial expert Ron Blue says this. Generosity and financial freedom are inextricably linked. They're linked together. Generosity and financial freedom. They're linked together because it's this mentality. It's this perspective that we have. But the Bible is very clear about this as well. In fact, I want you to jot down a few references. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. It's not in your notes. Just jot it down. And in this verse, it says, if you give, it will be given to you. Generosity, financial freedom linked. Next verse, Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. Okay. Next verse, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7. Whoever sows generously will reap generously, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, these concepts are linked in scripture, financial freedom and generosity. And the challenge is that we would step up to that generous living rung, rung number three. Now, we recognize that money is an incredible servant, but it's a horrible master. The problem, the scripture tells us, is that it becomes our master. Our hearts begin to yearn for money. We begin to love money. We begin to idolize money. It becomes a false god in our world. And that's why Jesus says you should never allow money to be your master. This is what he says in Matthew six twenty four: No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other, You cannot serve both God and money. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and the devil. He doesn't say you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both God and your boss. No, he's saying you can't serve God and money. Because money is going to become this false God in your world. It's going to become a horrible taskmaster always demanding more from you, always causing you to pursue more and to work harder and to strive for more, always comparing yourself to what you don't currently have. And it's a dead end street. So we want to make sure that we're pursuing the master who loves us, who wants the best for us both now and forever. We want to serve the master who's already given so generously to us. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse eight, freely you have received, freely give. Okay, that's the recognition. Freely you have received, so freely give. Hey, just out of curiosity, I just want to see, show of hands, raise your hand if you had an enjoyable Thanksgiving on Thursday. Anybody? Yeah. Okay, so most of you had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. The rest of you, I trust, were with family. Um, the, um, the, the, here, here's the deal. Thanksgiving. What is Thanksgiving about in America if it's not about overeating? Right? Can we just agree? It's about over, it's about the tryptophan coma that all of us slip into after the meal. I mean, you have to admit it, right? One of the servings is actually called stuffing. To think about that for a moment, what are the, what are the names that, that got passed over? You know, cram it in, eat till you can't move. Like, I, I, what are we, what are we skipping all this? We, we eat so much and we're so blessed and there's leftovers and leftovers after leftovers and now we've still got leftovers and here's the deal. We have received so freely and the scripture says because we've received freely, we're to freely give. 
That's to be our posture. That's how we're to, to situate ourselves into generous living. And, and since Jesus is the one who said it, you have to recognize he's also the one who modeled this. That Jesus gives freely. He gives himself freely. He gave his life freely. He gives and he gives and he keeps on giving generously to us. And so that's why it's my joy to challenge you to this truth we're going to talk about today. If you're filling in the blanks, the challenge is that you would give, generously give your life to Jesus Christ. Give your life to Jesus. Generously give your life to him. Generously offer yourself to him. Generously offer your decisions and your values and your family and your relationships. Generously offer your time and generously offer your finances to Jesus. We've received freely. We want to give back freely to him. And so I really kind of want to break this down and make it as clear as I possibly can. When you die, you will stand before the Lord God Almighty. And he's going to ask you two questions. And I don't know how he's going to ask you these questions. I don't know if he's going to ask you them in English. I don't know if it's multiple choice. All I know is that there are two things that are important to God that you're going to have to give an account for. The first question he's going to ask you is, what did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? What was he to you? Was he your swear word? Was he a nice concept? Was he a good moral teacher like a bunch of other guys that came down the pike? What did you do with Jesus? Did you disregard him or did you trust him? Did you believe in him? Did you give yourself to him? Did did you follow Jesus? Did you trust that he was who he said he was, God in the flesh? That he accomplished what he said he accomplished, the forgiveness of your sins. What did you do with Jesus, right? Now understand, that is what's called the question of salvation. Because the Bible is clear that it's Jesus who provides the doorway to salvation. That, that when we come to the Father, we come through him. That there's no other name under heaven by which we might be saved other than the name of Jesus. So, so I really want to make sure, if you never have trusted in Jesus, if you've never placed your faith in him, that you have an opportunity to do that today. That you would say, Jesus, I do trust you. And I do thank you for your generous gifts to me. And I thank you that you provide grace and forgiveness, that you offer your love unconditionally to me. And I I place my faith in you. I want to follow you today. Okay? That's what's called the question of salvation. And it is, friends, it's eternally important. But the next question is also very, very important. This is not the salvation question. It's the stewardship question. And the question is, well, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the time that I gave you? What did you do with the the gifts that I gave you? The talents that I placed within you? What did you do with the opportunities that I came? You know, you're here, you are, you're living in America. I gave you all these resources, right? Gave you all these chances to do all kinds of great stuff. What did you do with what I gave you? See, that's the stewardship issue, right? We've been given time and talent. We've been given treasure. And we're going to have to give an account for how we stewarded those things. Are we using them for our selfishness? Are we using them just to further our own comfort or convenience? Or are we offering them to God for his glory? See, God cares about both of these issues. God, he wants us to make the right choice with how we respond to his son, and he wants us to make the right choice with how we steward our resources. See, God's watching. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 6. He says, give your gifts in private, 
right? Not for show among your friends, but give them in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. See, God is watching how we're using our resources, where our generosity is. And he's looking to reward us for that. The Apostle Paul probably talks more specifically about generosity in a church context than anyone else anywhere in the scriptures. And if you read through, it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapter 9. Very specifically, he was walking through how churches respond to this call of generous living. And, and he's saying in this that there's this group of churches, the Macedonians. And even though they're impoverished, they just can't give enough, right? They're just caught up in this idea of generous living. Now, if you've ever been overseas on a mission trip, you'll know a little bit about what that's like. You go overseas on a mission trip, you want to help out, you want to bless the folks there, you want to serve them, and so often it's an impoverished kind of a community, and you go in, and do you know what you find? They give you their very best. They serve you hand and foot. They offer you everything they have, even if the meal that they're providing for you is taking their food away for a week, they'll do it. And it's so humbling to realize that here are people who have very, very little, and yet they're far more generous than we are. We go to bless them, we're the ones who get blessed. It's amazing. Paul's talking about that concept here in 2 Corinthians 8. He says, for I testify, these Macedonians, they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They, did, uh, they even did more than we hoped for their first action, check this out, was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. That's what I want you to focus on here. The first action is to give ourselves to the Lord, right? We give our lives to Jesus. We give ourselves to the Lord. And once we give ourselves to the Lord and to one another, this generous lifestyle, it just flows naturally out of that posture. Then he continues his coaching. Paul says in verse 12, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So that first line, let's look at that. Give your gifts eagerly. The Bible talks about giving eagerly, giving willingly, giving cheerfully. And you go, well, does God really care about my attitude when it comes to giving? He does. He really, it matters to God about your attitude. Um, Again, I, I just want a quick show of hands. How many of you in the room are, are parents? You have kids. Anybody have kids? Okay, so most of you. Here's the deal. If you're a parent, does your child's attitude matter to you? It does, right? Um, let's say Christmas morning, the kids are opening presents. Your son opens uh, a package from grandma and it socks. And you say to your son, hey, go, go tell grandma thanks for the socks. And he walks over there and he says, grandma, thanks for the socks. Does his attitude matter? Yeah, he does. He's going to get a sock upside the head, right? Or you, you, you say to your child, hey, you need to give your sister this gift. And so he walks over and he throws it at her head, right? Here's your present. Like, like does the attitude matter for your, your, of course, if you're a parent, you go, no, attitude really does matter. And God says, no, your attitude matters to me. He's given you so much. He's blessed you. He's provided for you. I'm going to say this, friends, I don't care how tight it is financially right now. God has provided for you thousands upon thousands of ways that we don't ever even thank him for. These are blessings that are unnoticed and unthanked blessings. 
God constantly gives us gifts. He constantly covers us with his love and his grace and his blessing and his provision. And so, yeah, he wants us to give back to him out of an eager and thankful kind of a posture. Yeah, attitude matters to God. Now, look at this next phrase here. It says, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Okay? In other words, we don't give in order to get. We give in response to what we've received. And so we're to give according to what we have. A very, very cool overlaker asked me last week after the message, "Um, Mike, I'm unemployed right now. And I've been unemployed for a while. And so how, how can I tithe? And my answer was, was basically what the scripture says. Look, you're, you're to tithe based on the income that God's providing for you. And so if, you're, if there's zero money coming in, then 10% of zero is zero. I'm not good at math, but I do know that. Right? And so the scripture says give according. Now, if you get a, an unemployment check, you can tithe off that check. Or if income starts coming in, you can tithe off that. Or if if gifts are given, you can tithe off those gifts. See, that's what is so great about the idea of a tithe is that anyone can participate by giving 10% to God. Your son or daughter who mows the lawn or cleans the house, they get $10. They can give one of those dollars to God. Everyone can participate, right? And so you're to give according to what we have. We're to be generous according to what we have, not what we don't have. And friends, there's so much that we can accomplish together. So much more, in fact, than what we're currently accomplishing. And Overlake, you're already accomplishing great things for the Lord. But I want to ask you, what kind of a giver is God prompting you to be? Is it an 11% giver, a 12% giver? What kind of generous living is God calling you to? Is it 15%? Is it 20%? See, I I don't know. All I know is that the scripture says, Paul says, hey, you're to decide in your heart, determine in your heart what it is that God's calling you to give. And then when you determine that, when you hear from God on that, then give that amount eagerly. In fact, he goes on to say, 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and God will generously provide all you need. You can underline that. You can take that to the bank. Some of you, that's what you needed to hear today is that God will generously provide all you need. It doesn't say all you want. We've got a lot of wants. Commercials, all they do is is tell us what we should want, right? I ask my boys, I say, hey, what do you guys want for Christmas? Honestly, this is the, I don't know what we want, Dad, but can we watch the commercials for a little while and then we'll tell you. The, the commercials are telling us what we want, right? The Bible doesn't say God will provide all you want. The Bible says God will provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need. And check this out. And plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. He's quoting a psalm. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way... He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Would you just underline that last line? He will provide and increase your resources, okay? So that's the promise from scripture that as you participate in generosity, he's not only gonna provide, he's gonna increase your resources. But check it out. It's not so that you can have a higher standard of living. It's so that you can have a higher standard of giving. 
See, the scripture goes on to say he'll increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. See, God is a generous God. He gives generously to us. He wants us to give generously back to him so that he can pour out more generously on us, right? He gives, then we give, then he gives more. It's like you have a shovel and you're shoveling out and God's shoveling in, but his shovel is bigger than your shovel. You cannot outgive God. You can't. And those of you in the room right now that are living at this number three, the rung three, the generous living kind of a posture, you know this to be true. You've tried it and you've found that God is faithful here. So he provides generously, increases our resources so that we can produce a great harvest of generosity. Now, it all starts by submitting our lives to him. That's why I started by saying, give your life to Jesus. Because when you give your life to Jesus, you trust Jesus with your eternity. You trust him with your sins, right? You trust him with your time. You trust him with your family and your relationships. And you also trust him with your finances. Understanding that he is a, he's a good, loving master calling us into the fullness of life. I could talk more and more about this, but I want you to see how it plays itself out in a very cool overlay couple. This is a video uh, with Craig and April Chapman. Hi, we're Craig and April Chapman, and we've been married almost 18 years. We've been going to Overlake for about 16, and we've been walking a journey of generosity that we'd like to share with you. We need to begin by saying this really is a journey of generosity. Um, we grew up in families where generosity wasn't modeled. Um, my parents taught me that success was really based upon how much money we made. April was brought up believing that we should look out for number one. By the time April and I graduated from college, we were uh, both Christians. Um, I was a uh, leader in a small church in Southern California. I was leading Bible studies. By the time I was in my late 20s, I was even an elder um, in this church. And still, I did not have that uh, vision for generosity. In fact, I knew about the tithe. We obviously studied the tithe. But in my mind, that was Old Testament and didn't really have a bearing on how to conduct our our lives um, as New Testament Christians. So when we first got married, there were a couple of things that really started driving our decisions about what we were going to do with our money. There were two things that stood out. One, we got a hold of the verse, Malachi 3.10, which is the only place in the Bible where God says to test him. He says, test me in giving your money back obediently. And the verse says, will I not throw open, I love his dramatic language there, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and will shower you with more blessings. It's an emotional thing because we just can't believe the joy that we've received from this blessing. He says, I will pour out more blessing than you can contain. And um, we've really seen with just a little bit of obedience and faith in this area that God truly has just blessed us with more joy than we can imagine. But the second thing was Craig read this book um, about the life of a man named R.G. Letourneau, who was the uh, inventor of the earth-moving equipment. And 
He started at a very young age uh, increasing his tithe to the Lord each year, increasing the percentage that he gave to the Lord. When he died, he was in his 90s, and he was giving about 95% of his income to the Lord, and he still died a multi-multi-millionaire. So these two uh, things had significant impact on us, and uh, we decided to change what we were doing with our finances. We were in debt at this point when we got married. Uh, through a series of circumstances, we had to take on some debt. We had to borrow all the money to get a deposit for our first home, and here we were. But we decided we were going to start tithing, and we were going to commit to increasing the percentage we were giving to the Lord each year. So once we became obedient, God proved that, in fact, his shovel, as Malachi says, his shovel is bigger than our shovel. And um, we were uh, found that we were blessed in new and exciting ways every year. So fast forward a few years, um, my little technology company that I started um, did very, very well. Um, and uh, through a series of coincidences, we were blessed financially more than, the company was blessed more financially than more than we ever imagined it would be, um, to the point where mid this year, I finally felt um, that I could personally be released from my day-to-day job at Inrix and get back to focusing on service um, for God in various different ways. More importantly, though, um, we followed through with our commitment to giving away half of everything we uh, took out of, uh, out of Inrix. And um, we were able in a position now where we could give away more money than we ever thought um, we'd be able to give away. Uh, and we just want to be clear, this is not a story about a, you know, a prosperity gospel, because prosperity is what God gives to us. And what we've experienced is with generosity, that's what we give back to God, and that's where God promises to bless us. So we found that when we um, follow God's plan for generosity, when we're obedient to in our finances, and we don't worry about looking out for number one, um, God causes a heart and a mind transformation that provides incredible blessings um, for joyful living. Yeah, it's pretty powerful. You guys can clap for those guys. They're uh, walking a great road. And it is a journey, and I've talked to Craig a lot. He's talking about how God's had him on a journey, and I know many of you are on the same kind of journey. Where do I go with God on this issue? How, how will I trust God in this issue? And, and, and so he made a decision. He and April made a decision. Hey, we're going to trust him. And we're going to begin with a tithe. And we're going to see how far we can push this generosity thing. And you know what? God met them and blessed them. And what is interesting is it's not about the standard of living increase. Now, did you notice it's the standard of giving increase? Because now they're at a place where they're giving 50% of everything away and given his life full time to serving Jesus Christ. I mean, that's a powerful testimony. So I I just want you to understand that this is a mentality that we're going after. What does God call us to do as we climb the generosity ladder? Um, Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Notice how he's talking about the love of money. It's not that money's the problem. Our hearts are the problem. That we begin to love money. We begin to crave money. We begin to serve money. We become a slave to money, right? It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. Money's not the problem. Money's just a tool, right? Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, isn't it interesting? Have you noticed, why would this verse juxtapose those two things? Stay free from the love of money Because God said, never will I leave you. 
Here's the deal. Where do we put our security? Is our security in money? Is that that what it takes for us to be secure? Is that where our trust is? In money, in our 401ks? That's a, that's a, that was a joke. Did we, did we not laugh? Right? We, we understand. No, security isn't in money. Money's not our God. Money's not our idol. There's no way money's going to be our master. Instead, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. No, our trust is in God. We trust in him. We walk with him. We serve him. We love him. We're in relationship with him. We're recognizing his provision. We're offering generously back to him. It's God who we serve. And that's where our peace is, even financially. And you can look back through the eons, right? You see, through the history of the world, God has always blessed. God has always provided. God has always proven himself trustworthy. Take the story of ancient Israel, right? I'll point you to Psalm 78, 14. Here's what God was providing for his people. Here's what God still provides for us. It says, in the daytime, he led them by a cloud and all night by a pillar of fire. He split open the rocks in the wilderness to give them water as from a gushing stream. He made streams pour from the rock, making waters flow down like a river. Okay, you look at that passage, you see that God has and always has provided two things. First, guidance. He led them. He showed them where to go. He went before them and guided them. Is there anybody here who needs guidance today? Facing difficult circumstances? You're looking at difficult relationships or difficult job scenarios or difficult financial realities and you need guidance to help navigate these treacherous waters of life. God provides guidance. Never gonna leave you, never gonna forsake you. The next thing we see from this passage that he provides, refreshment. He provides refreshment. Is there anybody here who needs refreshed today? Yeah, you need waters poured into you. You need to experience that balm, that healing, that encouragement, that empowerment. God will refresh you. Never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. You need to understand God is a good God. He's a loving Father. He loves to give good gifts to us, specifically guidance and refreshment. And I say all this recognizing that I also want to bring the challenge because they go hand in hand. The challenge to step up to generous living. Overlake, I, I, I think a couple weeks ago we let you know that this year, this fiscal year, we're behind our budget. Wraps up at the end of December. We're behind about $130,000. Now, that's pretty big, and it's, it's kind of daunting. It's big for me. I can't whip out my checkbook and write a check for that. I could write a check for that. It would bounce, right? So it's big for one person, but it's not big for all of us. It's not big for all of us to take a step up and to reach out and to trust God with more, right? We understand he provides guidance He provides refreshment. We can trust him because he's never going to leave us or forsake us. 2 Corinthians 9.11 says, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Okay, so we receive from God, then we offer back to him. We sang a song earlier talking about Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the lyric in that is, every blessing you pour out, 
I will turn back to praise. It's a bit of a transactional reality that we receive from God and instantly we return it back to God for his glory. Every good thing, every income that you've received, every job that you've received, every gift that you've received, every provision, we instantly want to turn it back and offer it back to him for his glory. See, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 8, since you excel in so many ways, and Overlake, you do excel in so many ways, in your faith, in your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So I want to say the same thing as your pastor. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. When it comes to the metaphor of the generosity ladder, realize that all of us are somewhere in it, right? There's only four kinds of people in the entire world, and you're one of them. The never giver, the occasional giver, the regular giver, the sacrificial giver. So I don't know where you are in that. Right? In the metaphor, it's, it's the person who's not on the ladder, who's just dealing in this financial stressful place. They're constantly frustrated, debts mounting up, materialism has a hold. It's bondage. You start climbing the ladder. The first step is you occasionally offer back to God a gift, just recognizing that the gifts come from him. The second rung on the ladder is you're saying, I want to be obedient. I want to be financially faithful to God. 10% offered first to God. And then the third rung is my whole life is a posture of generosity. Wherever I see a need, however I can help, every resource, it's all his. And so I offer it freely to him. I really want to encourage you to climb the generosity ladder, and here's why. Because as you climb this ladder, the higher you get, I promise you, your joy does increase. I promise you that the hold of materialism, it looses its bonds on your heart. I promise you that you will feel closer to God as you give. I promise you that there is an incredible peace. It transcends understanding. But God will meet you with his peace as you begin to experience the generosity he calls you to. The last thing I want to say before we wrap up in prayer. I shared this story a couple of years ago and it it kind of breaks my heart. This This is a bad on me story. My grandma, who lived in the Midwest, she was ill, and I knew she was in the hospital. And I loved her, and she loved me, and I knew that, but we weren't exactly close. And when I found out she was in the hospital, I thought, you know what, I should take a trip out to see her, but I never got around to it, and and finances were tight, and schedule, and family, and everything else. So instead, I made her a care package. And I, I put together this care package, and I wrote her a letter. I called her on the phone first, and we talked for a while, and figured out some things that she might like that would be a blessing to her. And so I put some music in there and I put some things I had written and, and just some gifts and I wrapped it all up. And, and then I sat on my desk and I said, you know, I need to get to the post office to send this. It's about this time of the year. And I never really just made it to the post office. After the first of the year, I thought, you know what? I've, I've got to get this gift off to my grandma. And then I got the call. My grandma had passed away. She's gone, and I've got this gift that I had been meaning to give. I share that with you because I know that that's the temptation that some of you are going to face right now. Oh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give someday. Uh, Yeah, you know what? I know the Bible talks a lot about this. I'll be generous um, sometime in the future. You know what? I've got the best of intentions to become generous. 
Friends, I just want to say very clearly, don't almost give. Don't intend to be generous. Don't almost love. Don't almost trust Jesus. Don't, don't mostly get this. No, no, do. Just step into generosity today. Climb the generosity ladder today. Give your love and your life to Jesus Christ today. Live your life in an expansive expression of generosity before the Lord, bringing him glory. And do it, friends. Let's do it today. Right? Let's not miss the opportunity God's given. All right, why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray together. And Lord Jesus, as we come to you in prayer, we want to come with the words of Scripture, which say, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, we do recognize all the good things we have in you. And we want to put into practice the generosity that comes from our faith. We ask that you would meet us in our need. If there are those here who are afraid, Lord, I pray just like that bird who, who needed to be prompted out of the nest. We, we want to give you our faith. We want to place our trust in you. We ask that you would meet us with your courage, that you would let us push through our fear, that you would allow us to live a life that is free, a life that is unfettered and untethered by the bondage of materialism. But we want to give you the glory always in our finances, in our faith, in our values, in our time decisions, in all things. And we give them all to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. 